Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 228, Tabletop Analytics and Feedback, presented by Brian Neff and Kiva Fecto. Um, hey, someone wouldn't mind if you just reach over and close that door. Thank you. Like, reach over, like, extend your arm, like, ten feet over, and... Yeah. He's Mr. Fantastic. Um. Hi. How are all of you? Um. I don't think we need to use microphones. I think you're probably. I'm right. hearing echo anyway. So is echo, it just anyway. is it just the room? I think I think it probably. All right, is. we're not going to use mics if that's okay with everybody. Yeah, I'm definitely hearing something. Yeah. But my mics are off. Oh, my mic is also off. Can you guys hear everything? Yes. Y'all can hear us good. Awesome. Right. We don't need to blast you first thing in the morning. <laughs> um. So first off, thank you for coming to my panel and watching Brian Neff wake up in the morning. Um, I'm going to drink this coffee. No, um, so uh, this panel is called Crunching the Cardboard, and this is going to be, I think, probably a little bit more of a technical panel. Yeah. Um, because I think it's going to be a lot about analysis and, you know, like, how, how do you analyze feedback, right? Um, uh, it's not going to be probably that mathy um, because I don't think we need to get into math to talk about like what is the best way to analyze feedback and what is good feedback and what is bad feedback so um, we're going to keep it kind of light and conversational oh, yeah yeah um, and if y'all have any questions throughout are you cool questions with just... comments whatever yeah you're, you're part of this right it's, it's not just I mean we're elevated up here because we're sitting a few feet higher but but you're all part of this too so. yeah so if y'all have any questions throughout feel free to I don't know raise your hand or just yell Probably don't yell. Um, <laughs> I'm certainly not. Uh, so let's do some introductions. Um, my name is Brian Neff. Uh, I run Waitress Games. We are a design and development studio. Um, I have been... Yeah, we're good. We are started. <laughs> uh, we're a design and development studio. Um, we have worked on huge projects uh, from Wizards of the Coast and small projects from... Uh, Kickstarter backers and people with you know 500 backers on Kickstarter so um, I have experience working with all different types of games and all different types of feedback um, yeah alright I'm Kiva Fecto I spent five years with a startup that never really quite became an actual company called Shadow Song Industries doing design and analysis and then the last year I've been I've got my own design studio called Gold Dragon Games um, not working with any really huge names yet, but we've worked with some publishers, some designers to do uh, pretty much an analysis on games. So not just figuring out how they're broken, but how to fix them. So yeah, um, mostly I think we wanted to address three really big questions in this panel. Um, and uh, those questions stem from, I think, a lot of pitfalls that first-time designers will fall into. Um, I know a lot of y'all are not first-time designers, but I still sometimes fall into these traps myself, mm -hmm. and I think it's very important to, you know, sort of periodically remind everyone mm -hmm. 
um, of a couple of these things. And so the first thing that we wanted to talk about was what is good feedback. Um, the second thing that we wanted to talk about is what is bad feedback. Um, and then the third and final thing that we're going to touch on before the hour is over is um, what is your target audience and what does that mean? Um, so uh, I think to start off, you know, uh, with what is good feedback, um, we can talk about a lot of the sort of processes and procedures that happen mm -hmm. here, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Abby and Vinny and Double Exposure have done a very good job of creating sort of a structure for how to give good feedback. And, you know, they have a lot of panels, um, especially early on, that are like, you know, specifically for playtesters that'll come in here mm -hmm. and, you know, tell them how to give good feedback and, and tell you how to get good feedback and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but even still, identifying what good feedback looks like um, can be difficult. Uh, because everybody gives feedback differently. Everybody will talk to you about your game differently, and everybody will uh, come at the different issues that your game has for them in a different way. Um, so, do you want to talk about like some good ways to give feedback, and or some good ways to some some good feedback that you've gotten or given over the course of this weekend? Yeah. So, uh, first thing I want to say is I've been really impressed with the. Uh, Playtesters have come to my table, almost without exception, and almost without uh, variances to. Does doesn't matter how old they are. I've seen some very young people come to my table. Almost all of them are asking, "What kind of feedback would you like?" And that that's a huge difference that I've seen over the past few years. People are learning how to be fantastic feedback uh, givers, and part of that is due to not only these panels that that Brian's mentioned, but also we as designers who are sometimes starting off our session say, this is my game, this is what I'm looking for, and this, this is what I'm testing in this particular session, right? Uh, this is the kind of feedback I want. Sometimes we don't do that to the end, but if we do that at the very beginning, if we're looking for something specific, we're more likely to get people's attention on that thing that we want. And we may even go through part of a game and say, okay, I've got what I need on there, this is not working, let me start over again. So some of the, the really good feedback that I get I'm going to be talking a lot about one particular game as it's gotten feedback over the last several months in different parts of today. So this weekend, part of the feedback that I've gotten was, you know, this, this game is really good for families and for young children, which is kind of my target audience for this one. But I also want it to be challenging for real gamers. And saying, but it's, that's not really there. I mean, we do a lot of this kind of game. And so really what you want is you want to do this and you want to do that and you want to do this other thing. And so I started taking a lot of notes on that. Well, what can I do in this zone and that zone and that zone of my game to build up the, the challenge levels of that? Because I thought I'd already been doing that. This is a cooperative game. My challenge with, with making cooperative games is that people almost always win them. And it's not a bad thing, but I want at least the suspense of not knowing whether you're going to win to stay through the end. And so it gets better and better. But then I got to some really hardcore gamers yesterday and it was... Nope, not really there. It was fun, but you know, and I would play it again because it was fun, and it had penguins in it. But uh, <laughs> but it wasn't that kind of challenge where like I'm really I'm sweating over what I'm, whether we're going to make this or not. And so the feedback I was getting yesterday was do this, do that. So over dinner yesterday, I actually was taking notes and changing a lot of things, and I went back into another feedback, another session, and played it. I, I told the people there. This game is pretty well tweaked in most aspects, but I threw everything I could into it just now. I know you've been playing all games all week, and I hope you're up to this. And they squeaked by a win with just in the last round with very few resources left. 
but they all felt really good about it. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm on the path. I listened to the people that were telling me these things and, and I felt right too. So part of that is not just the a analytics of doing the logic, but how does this feel to you? Does it feel like this, this feedback is along the right path that you've realized there's something missing or, oh yeah, that's what I needed. And so you can use both of those sides of things to, to help your game. Yeah, for sure. And I think that you've identified like a couple of, of really key sort of touchstones for what good feedback looks like because um, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but this is a thing that I like to go by. Um, it's that good feedback is concrete, good feedback is directional, and good feedback is what you're looking for. Um, and, you know, part, part of that takes some work beforehand. Um, you know, a lot of times I think we as designers can sometimes fall into a trap and say like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go in here with my prototype, people are gonna play my prototype, and we're gonna see what they say. Um, and that's a really good way to get, you know, what people think about your game, to get mm -hmm. reviews, to get that sort of stuff, but it's a really, really bad way to try and farm feedback. Um, because whenever you go into a room and you sit down, um, you know your game better than anyone else, you're going to be teaching your game, especially in situations like this. And we can get into blind testing later, but for now we're sort of going to focus on where I think a lot of these games are at here. Um, but you know your game better than anyone else, you're going to teach it, and if you don't know what you're looking for, um, then you're going to get a shotgun of feedback and a lot of it's not going to be useful. Um, so like you said, like mm -hmm. one of the first things that one of the first things that you can do to help get your good feedback is point your players in the right direction and say, "Hey, this is the feedback that I'm looking for. Please look at this part of my game. Please, we know the art isn't final. Don't look at this part of our game. You know that sort of stuff." And being able to tell people uh, that in concrete terms will help them look at the specific parts of your game. And I know that a lot of people. I did this when I came in because I was in academia for a very long time and I did, you know, like research at universities and things like that. And I was always afraid of poisoning the well and saying like, hey, if they look at this, they're going to find everything that's wrong with it and they're going to bust it apart and all of this sort of stuff. But that's a good thing mm -hmm. um, because as long as players can give you concrete and directional feedback about the things that you're looking for, um, it doesn't matter if it breaks. It doesn't matter if they're paying too much attention to it. It's a really good way to to scrape for that data. Um, and I think with that, uh, we can we can sort of move into what bad feedbacks look like, right? Um, and I think that this is really a difficult thing to talk about, and this is not an indictment on anyone who is here. Um, and I think that we should sort of say that right up front, oh, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. we all give bad feedback um, because giving good feedback is really, really hard. Um, I gave bad, bad or I gave bad feedback this weekend, you know, and I didn't recognize it until after I was already doing it. And I've been doing this for ten years, so it's not like it's it's not like this is some you know there is a formula for giving what good feedback looks like. It just sort of happens sometimes. So. Um, do you want to talk about some bad feedback that you've gotten either this weekend or in the past month or whatever? Um, so, so also part of that is that sometimes when we're playing a game, especially if we get really involved with the game, mm -hmm. then when we're at the point of giving feedback, if we forget that we ourselves can be analytical about right. our own games, about other games, we just get emotionally involved in the game, that's when we're likely to give our least useful feedback. 
because then we're going to give the feedback that, that designers will get from their friends and family. Oh, yeah, I like that. Or, no, I didn't like that. There's something wrong with that. But not really thinking about it. So what I find is useful for myself is that when I identify what f even feels like a problem in a game, all right, as, as we're going through, as I'm watching other people playing their turns, let me just start thinking about why that is. And then also, what could fix that? So playtesters aren't always looking for solutions from their feedback. Right? Sometimes they're just looking for what's working, what's not working. And in a setting like this, they're more likely to get feedback that is very specific about how they can fix it. They're more likely to take that because we're all, a lot of us are very expert on having done this. Either we're designers ourselves or publishers, or we've been playing a lot of games for a long time and been doing this kind of thing. But, but we're also used to getting that feedback from people. Oh, I don't, I don't like this. I think you should change that. And then a lot of that's very not useful stuff. Um, non-useful feedback that what I thought at the time and, and may still be unuseful feedback that I got within the last year on the, on the same game was from a group of people that came up to sit and play the game and were incredibly distracted the entire time they were playing. Every single round I had to remind almost every single one of them that it was their turn. This is a very quick moving game and one of them was missing home because he'd been away for weeks and one was waiting for a call from somebody and another one was getting people coming up and talking to him constantly and they were just chatting about other stuff around the table and yet when the game ended it was like okay let's turn on the spigot and give this person some feedback and like gushing 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 and most of it was completely change the game don't do anything that you're doing here because it was boring <laughs> i wasn't at all impacted by this game it was like eh, i could care less about sitting at this table thinking but you really weren't at this table but i took notes on all of it anyway because what i figured is well okay i know that if i get feedback and it's not just about games it's not about any kind of thing if you get feedback the bottom 20% of what you get statistically and the top 20% you can probably throw out. It's those things that, you know, the people said, everybody should have this game, or this, this game is crap, throw it out. Those are usually not useful feedback, unless you start hearing it consistently. So it's that 80%, that's, that's well, 60% that's in the middle, that you hear over and over and over again, that starts getting to be more useful. So even this feedback that I thought was really it was, it, it pained me to hear this feedback about my game, that it was terrible and I should completely scrap it and do this other, completely different concepts. But I took notes on all of that because I figured if I start hearing some of those things again and again and again, then maybe those concepts are useful. Maybe those will help give me, give a direction that will be better for this. Um, some of it I've used, most of it I still haven't, but I still have those notes and I'll review them every now just in case. Um... Yeah, I mean, so for me, I've gotten a ton of bad feedback over, and you know, I I, I feel bad calling it bad feedback because I think that's that's sort of judgmental. Um, so instead, I'm going to use the term not useful feedback uh, because I don't think people are giving it on purpose, right? Um, I've gotten a ton of of not super useful feedback both both this weekend and in general, and a lot of the stuff that uh, I've done because. Um, uh, I tend to do very, very wide playtesting, especially for stuff um, that uh, I work on you know, for other clients. And so I tend to get a lot of people who are not in my target audience. And we can sort of talk about that a little bit mm -hmm. later. Um, but uh, people who feel very strongly about you know, certain types of games and all of that stuff um, uh, tend to want all games to sort of be that thing, right? 
Um, and I think one of the things, you know, for for us as designers to recognize is that all of your playtesters are going to come in with biases. Mm -hmm. They're all going to come in because, and they have their favorite game, and they know they know how your game should be, and they know how to fix all of your problems and all of that sort of stuff. And so being able to sort of sit down and identify, hey, here's where each of those biases lie, um, is going to be a very important tool for you to cultivate if you're a designer, right? Um, I've definitely gotten bad feedback out of people who were like, hey, I love your narrative game, but what if we made it a lot more mechanics heavy, and what if I could be very strategic, and all of this sort of mm -hmm. stuff. And like being able to sort of identify terms that are code for this isn't the type of game that I like is very important, and everyone does it differently. And, it's, and you know sometimes it's pretty hard to identify, but you know there are some questions that you can ask of your playtesters, you know, especially if you start getting feedback that sounds off. Mm -hmm. There's some questions that you can ask your playtesters that can sort of help clear that some of stuff clear that's I'm sorry clear that sort of stuff up you know you can ask them hey what's your favorite game what type of games do you like mm -hmm. um, you know what specifically about this did you like best what did you like worst that sort of stuff um, and uh, you know that that sort of stuff can be very important to I sort sort of identifying what how useful that the feedback that you're going to be getting is um, and I think you touched on another thing mm -hmm. that I think is, is, is very, very important to talk about, especially in a feedback panel, is um, one of the things that, uh, that I always hear, you know, at least the people that I've worked with for a while say, um, is that players are very good at identifying how they feel. Players are very bad at identifying why they feel that way. Um, and I think it's a very important note, especially for designers who are new and are sort of are, are sort of getting stuff in on your first and second and third project. It's very very important to be able to to recognize that that is a fact. Um, players can say like, "Hey, I don't feel great about this game. This game wasn't fun for me. This mm -hmm. wasn't you know like this part made me feel good. This part made me feel bad." And those feelings are probably true. You know, um, sure. players are very good at identifying those feelings in themselves. Mm -hmm. um, they're very bad at identifying why they feel that way. Um, and as an example, I was like using Civilization, the video game. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, this is a longer story. Um, if you've ever played Civilization, one of the things that you're doing is you're fighting other armies. Um, and uh, Civilization, the game, cheats. Um, it always cheats, and it cheats in your favor 100% of the time. Uh, because players tend to be really bad at assessing how randomness works. And so if you say, hey, you're going to win 50% of the time, and you give people a die, and they roll, and they win 50% of the time, they're going to say, that was unfair, and that sucked, and that felt bad. Um, and that's bad feedback, right? Because you, you did that thing. You made it random. You gave them a 50-50 shot, and they didn't feel good about it. Um, because civilization learned that if you want players to feel like a thing is 50-50, you need them to win 80% of the time. Wow. Because players are very, very bad at identifying like that feedback and that randomness and that sort of stuff, right? Um, and that's why you'll see a lot of a lot of games who've gotten that sort of feedback, they move away from like 50-50 dice rolls and mm -hmm. things like that because those sorts of things feel really bad to players. Um, but that being said, players will never be able to identify that a simple dice roll and a simple 50-50 probability made them feel bad. Um, because we all like to think that you know we have these great analytical minds and we're very good at this sort of stuff. 
Um, but we don't. We fall into those traps. We all come into those playtests with biases, and we all have to understand that, like, that, that, that analyzing a game, especially, if, you know, if you're invested in it and if you like it, is difficult. Um, it's probably a longer story than it needed to be, but... Well, maybe. And, and yet people may have those feelings and think they can assess why is they're feeling bad about right. something. I sat in on a playtest yesterday uh, where it was a tile-laying game, and the feedback at the end was the person who went first laid a tile down. It ended up being a dead end, so he had to come out and start over again. So he thought that was terrible, made him feel bad, and that he wanted the entire game redone, an entire mechanic of the game redone so that that would never happen again. And yet at the same time, there was another random aspect. He had a number of resources that were given to him randomly. And because he ended up with that dead end, he was able to come out and reset all those resources to maybe get something better. So there was a positive aspect to that too, but, but that wasn't part of what he identified as his bad feeling. Right. He didn't see that as a mitigating factor. He just wanted that, that whole game, well, how about if you give me three or four or five tiles to start with and I can choose which one I use? Well, it's not really so random then, is it? Uh, you had a, a question, yeah. comment? I was actually, um, it's funny because I was about to ask a specific question because uh, Mark Rosewater, the lead magic guy, yep. said something similar once where he's like, players are really good at identifying problems, but really bad at figuring out solutions. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess my question is when you're doing a playtest session and, and you get that kind of like a specific design suggestion, how do you incorporate that into your notes? Do you you kind of just, I mean, I'm sure you don't just disregard it out of hand, but are you, are you, do you tend to be like, well, you're not paying attention to those more than, and more paying attention to the problem that they're probably thinking of deeper down? Can I start on that yeah, one? Um, sometimes I do dismiss it out of hand. Not not usually, but sometimes because it's it's an area that I've thought of really long and hard, and I've had lots of play tests, and I've got lots of feedback on it, and this is like out of the park someplace completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, and it doesn't seem to have any basis in anything. I will often still write it down. Uh, what I do often, especially when I'm writing on paper, but I'm using my phone now for most of my notes, and even though I can do that, if I s get feedback, I may make an, a mark next to it, and then the next person gives me that same feedback, I'll make another mark next to it. So I know that there's some weight to that feedback. So if it's just a, a one-off thing, uh, I don't you know, especially if I've done a lot of playtesting already. And it doesn't intuitively strike me as something that's that's germane to the game. I may or may not take it seriously, but I will write almost everything down just in case. Yeah, yeah, it, and yes, I think it's I think it's super important to note those things, um, you know. And some sometimes, shocker, players have remarkably good solutions. Very little of the time is that the case. <laughs> Um, you know, and so maybe they have like a nugget of a good idea or something like that that you can take and you know you can go on. And there's you know there's no catch-all solution for that sort of thing because if there was, I would be a much more successful game designer than I am right <laughs> now. Um, and I think we all would be right. Um, but you know, you have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. But you know your game better than anyone else does. Um, you are the designer. You know your target audience. You know what you're trying to do. Um, and, you know, if you are consistently getting feedback that, like, hey, this part of the game is bad, then you know that that part of the game is probably bad. But if you asked all of your players to mm -hmm. solve that thing, none of them is going to give you the right answer. Because it's because in reality, the answer is probably a mix of every single one of their suggestions, right? And you are the only person who can identify that, and you are the only person who can drive down towards what your target audience wants. 
Um, so yes, you should note those things. Don't just be like, ha you suck. But, you know, don't worry about don't worry about pleasing everybody because you're not going to. It really depends on what kind of feedback it is, too. If, if the person says, I think you should have uh, one of these pieces should be purple. Well, why? Well, if it's a colorblindness thing, okay, yeah, I'm, I've, the final design will be colorblind tested, we'll, we'll be sure. But if it's just that you really like purple and you want purple in all of the games that you play, uh, okay, noted. Um, if, if there are enough people in the world that really like purple, then maybe I should have purple so I can have more ma mass appeal to this thing. But the other side of that, too, is who is that that's giving you feedback, right? Is this a person who's a playtester? Is this a person who's a friend or family of yours? Is this another designer that you know well and that you respect? Is it a publisher who's done a lot of this kind of stuff? What's the value that you can assess to the source where that feedback is coming from? Sometimes I, I will... And, and not always. The feedback that I got that was really disjointed from that, that whole playgroup that wasn't paying attention, that was actually a publisher and, and a reviewer and, and some of their friends. I think maybe they're having a bad day. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I still took notes because I, I would have expected to get better feedback from this kind of source. But then I also started to realize, okay, this person also has some... Um, the way that they approach life is very scattered in a lot of ways. It's not that the feedback's not bad, but this is the kind of stuff I might expect to get from them. So I'll have to assess it with that. So look at everything you can about what that source is from where that feedback's coming and use that as part of your criteria for whether you're going to take it serious, seriously or not, or how seriously you're going to take it. Yeah, and I think that, that sort of flows well into the last thing that we wanted to talk about up here, um, which is your target audience. Um, I think you'll hear a lot of people talk about target audience because target audience is probably the most important part of playtesting. Um, so when we say target audience, we mean who do you want to play your game? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're making a game that's for families, mm -hmm. your target audience is families. If you're making, you know, a, a really heavy role-playing game, your target audience is people who are into very heavy role-playing games, right? Um, those those sorts of things are remarkably difficult to identify in playtesting, um, but it is one of the most important parts, um, is being able to identify who your game is for and who your game is not for. Um, and it's possible that, you know, in the process of identifying who your game is for and who your game is not for, you can say, hey, my target audience is way too narrow, and I need to widen it out a little bit. I need to make this game for more people. I need to take mm -hmm. that feedback. You know, and general, general testing is good for that, but at this stage, one of the most important things that you can do is you can say, hey, I want people who like games that are like this. Who, you know, like, so the game that I'm testing uh, here is, is sort of a, a, a crunchier world-building game. Um, and it's got some mechanics and a lot of symbology and things like that. And so, you know, I know that my target audience is people who are into heavy narrative and heavy mechanics, right? And so, you know, I was like, hey, I want people who are into legacy games. I want people who can get invested. I want people... And being able to identify that those types of games are the audience that I want, even though I'm not making a legacy game, um, is important, right? Um, and being able to, to scrape that feedback and say, like, hey beginning of the test. Has anyone played a legacy game? Do you like legacy games? That sort of stuff. This isn't a legacy game, but that, that gives me a good key for whether or not these people are in my target audience, right? Yeah, and there's another aspect to that too, which is I think even tougher. Uh, this is probably one of the best conventions to be able to get more specific types of playtesters to your table, 
but even though you can't get everything that you might want, I've, I've had games that uh, I intend probably to be mostly for kids, but are not really lightweight, but I've, I've had very few kids actually play it. Even here when I say, hey, I want kids, uh, there aren't enough kids to get to all the tables where you want kids, right? So people I have had play it have been, this is a, a math game, I've had math teachers, I've had engineers, I've had computer scientists, I've had parents, I've had some families, which are really good, and the kids tend to know more about the math than the parents do, which is fantastic. <laughs> so the, the challenge then is how do I get this in front of playtesters who are my target audience? I can't just go to my local game store or go to a regular playtesting convention and hope that those people will be there. So for that particular game, I haven't done the work yet that I need to to get it in front of enough people. I do have a couple of elementary school teachers who've said that they would take prototypes of the game and playtest it with their classes. Okay, so that would be great. That means I have to make prototypes of this, this game that's kind of chunky right now to, to create, but I have to do that. So I'm looking for creative ways to make them cheaply so I can get them out to people. Um, somebody has suggested that maybe my target audience should be teachers of homeschool classes, all right? Well, that's not an audience I'm that familiar with. So I need to do now the research to figure out who those people are, how I, re how I interact with them, how do I get this stuff out to them to get that play testing, see whether they want this game or whether this would be useful for them. Um, so that, that's a little bit harder. I mean, when you're coming to a convention like this, if you're doing a heavy role-playing game or heavy mechanics, you can ask for those types of things. Part of it is, if you have a catalog of games that's going out that your playtesters get to choose from, is looking at the wording that you're putting into those. What are the keywords that are going to help people say, oh yeah, that's exactly what I want. Because if you're not careful even with that wording, then you're going to end up with people at your table who thought, well, I've, I thought this game was something else and it's really not. And I, I'm going to like do the BGG. I'm going to rate this a one because it's not the kind of game I like. That, that doesn't help. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I, the, I think that's super true. Like, sometimes being able to find those people is really, really hard. Um, and I think there are a lot of solutions to that problem, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that I don't have. Uh, um, <laughs> so uh, I, th I think that's probably a different panel that we could talk about for another mm -hmm. hour, right, is being able to find your target audience. Um, but that, that stuff being said... Um, I, I, I don't want to sort of raise all of these questions and then send you out into the world without any sort of solutions, right? That's, that's, that's not sort of the point of the panel. And uh, I don't want you to leave here feeling bleak. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff you can do. Um, as far as the target audience thing goes, um, Facebook exists. There are a lot of playtest groups. Um, and, you know, a lot of what you can do is just go into Facebook and type in tabletop game playtesting and you'll come up with five or ten groups that are, you know, have hundreds and hundreds of people in them. And those resources are very, very good and you should absolutely use those. Um, you should send your prototype to random people who say that they like it. Um, you should create a document for how to print and play your thing and be able to get it to a very, very wide audience because um, unlike a lot of other things that that I will tell you over the course of this weekend if you want to come up to me later, when it comes to feedback, more is almost always better. You know, you need to get as much feedback as you possibly can from the people that you think are going to want to play your game. Um, and, you know, you want, you want to do that for a lot of reasons. You want to do that because a lot of feedback helps you find what the middle point is and helps you sort of aggregate all of that data and crunch it into, you know, your, your sort of middle points. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, that's a really good way to make advocates for your game. Um, and, you know, that's... The, you, you want people who will go out into the world and get feedback for you and say, you know, I want to be really invested in this process and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and I think on the flip side, it's very important that you go and join those groups and you be a part of that process so that you know when you're giving feedback, you can start to identify the bits and places and where that feedback is coming from and sort of help you understand that sort of stuff. So I think I think that's a, a really good solution. Um, I think the second way to do it, and this is sort of getting a little bit more specific, um, is learn all of the different avenues that you can use to play test your thing. Um, Metatopia is great. Uh, after Metatopia, be able to identify how you're going to iterate and how you're going to move forward. Um, because Metatopia only happens once a year. Right. You know, And you want to put out more than one iteration of your game a year. Um, and whether that's playing with your friends at like a kitchen table or you know, getting on those Facebook groups and organizing a thing or getting on Tabletop Simulator and doing that sort of stuff, um, I think is very important. Uh, side note, and I'm going to sort of shill for a little bit, if you don't have Tabletop Simulator, you should get Tabletop Simulator. Um, because as a playtester and as a person who's scraping feedback, Tabletop Simulator is the most powerful tool that you will have for playtesting your game. Um, I know a lot of people don't use it. Uh, because they're afraid of the interface or they don't want to learn how to put stuff in or all of that sort of stuff because I was that person. Um, but I started using it, I learned how to put everything in, and I do five times as many play tests a week as I used to. Um, and granted, this is my full-time job, but you know, like mm-hmm. I've, I've found people who want to do that thing, and I can play test with a person in California, a person in Texas, and a person in Canada. And... Um, there's not a thing that Tabletop Simulator can't do for you, no matter how weird and wild your game is. So, uh, you know. Thank you for that reminder. I have Tabletop Simulator. I've had it for a year and a half or so and haven't done anything with it yet. Uh, but I know I need to. Yeah. So, so thank you for, for yeah. pushing me in that once, direction Once again. you really start sort of drilling down. Um, yeah. You know, and use all of your communication tools to scrape feedback. Use Discord. Use Facebook. Use Twitter. Use all of those different methods of communication because th- those those things are going to influence how your playtesters give feedback to. Playtesters who are in front of you in person are going to give different feedback than playtesters who you hand a thing to and come back. Um, playtesters are going to give you different feedback if they respond to you on Twitter than if they respond to you on Discord. Playtesters are going to give you different feedback if you film them than if you don't. Mm. You know, like... All of that sort of stuff influences your feedback, and being able to scrape all of that stuff and aggregate it all is super, super important. Um, you know, and I and I think that like there are a lot of panels that are going to tell you, and and you know blogs on Facebook and and websites that will tell you how to do that stuff with quantitative data, you know, and that's super important. Being able to put things into a spreadsheet and and you know do your balancing stuff and find the options that players are using the most and, and that sort of quantitative, mm-hmm. quantitative data is super important. But on the flip side, like how people feel, how, you know, why they're making the choices that they make, all of those things matter as well. You know, and so um, really being able to dig down into that data is great. Um, I know a pair of designers who often don't go to the same conventions together. One of them is running the playtest 
and he will take pictures of especially the end state, but he's got an entire spreadsheet on a piece of paper in front of him, and he's taking notes of, of different values and different ending points and all kinds of other things. Then he shoots all of that to his partner, who runs statistical analysis on it, because he's an econom economist. And But every single game, they do that. Every single game, it's, it's all about all the statistics of everything. And then other games, uh, I was sitting at a playtest last night, and, and one of the people, the, the person running it said, okay, what I really want to know is, is how do you feel about this? And, and why did he want to know that? Because that's something that you'll often get from people, is because he, he said that I don't process feelings the same way that a lot of people do, so I'm not going to get the feels from this game. I want to, But I know that I need to have the feels from players, so I need to get that from you. So that's what I'm specifically going to ask for. And I wanted to go into another way of getting feedback, which is surveys. Um, so especially when you're sitting down at a table with somebody and you, if you have a survey form or you can do this online if you're testing as well, what kinds of thing makes a good survey for you? And, and again, this is not just in games. This is, I've, I've talked with professional survey developers, right? And so I want something that'll do two things for me. It'll give me a quick overview. If I'm running lots of play tests from lots of people, I can look at it quickly. So I've got the just the number chart, one through five, one through 10, great, bad, and then the things in between. So I can look down quickly and say, is there some consistency? This part of my game is consistently getting lower ratings than the rest. And that, that's okay, that I need to concentrate on. But not limiting it to just those quick, what I call the, the smile reactions, right? You get a smiley face or a frowny face or something in between. But also giving them places to, okay, well, give me something written. Give me a narrative right. about what you're feeling about this. Not everybody will fill that in. And I'm always doing verbal feedback after the game anyway and taking notes, but some people feel more comfortable writing things down or will we'll sit there for a while and cogitate and then come up with like paragraphs of stuff. Those things I always read really carefully because that's where the meat of the feedback is going to be. So I, I, I like the quick one through ten type of thing to get a, a sense of is there something consistently happening, but then the actual ideas about one of, one of the people I know asks, what do you hate about my game? What do you love about my game? And then what would you change? So it's often those what would you change types of things that I'm going to get in that, that narrative feedback that really helps me a lot. All right. That's, and that's super, super smart, right? Because um, sort of like we were talking about earlier, like if you sit down with a group of five people, those people are going to give you different feedback than if you handed out a survey to five those same five people and they filled it out, right? Because like mm -hmm. crosstalk happens and players will inform each other right, and that yeah. sort of stuff, right? And sometimes you want that and sometimes you don't, um, you know. And being able to identify when those things are useful and when they aren't is a super useful tool. Um, we did when we were doing testing for Betrayal Legacy. Like one of the things that we asked our playtesters to do is literally set up a camera and film themselves playing the game, because we were looking for. We were, we were looking for very, very specific things. We were looking for what, like, is this specific card confusing? Mm. We can't tell them to look at that card, you know, and say, is this confusing? Because then they're paying attention to it, right? We needed to see it come up organically and that sort of stuff. And so when we were at that point where we had all of these really small data points that we needed to see happen during play, none of the other traditional types of feedback giving were going to be useful to us, mm. right? And so the way that we got around that thing is we just said, hey, film yourself. And then we only looked at... 15, 20 minutes of that feedback out of two hours, right? Like only 20 minutes of that feedback was useful, but that's that's how tight we wanted to get that experience, you know? And um, no game is ever perfect and your game's not ever going to be perfect because there's no such thing as a perfect game. Um, but 
depending on how tight you want your experience to be, you're always going to need more feedback, right? Um, so yeah, I think that's all I had. I want to hear from you guys. Yeah, um, we've heard a little bit, but what experience have you had with, with feedback? Good, bad, ugly, things that you want, things that you don't know, questions you have? Well, this was just on the side real quick. What was the name of your game? And, uh, and I may have context here in New Jersey for homeschool testing. My game is called It Figures. So it's essentially boggle, but for math, but expanded. So there are actually more things you can do with it than just roll the dice and, and write stuff. Did I play that at spring break? Yeah, oh, I think so. Okay. Does anyone else have any questions? Thank you. So I don't really have a question, but sure. I just wanted to kind of expand on what you said, which was the group of publishers that gave the really like, kind of bad feedback. I think my best uh, feedback that I ever got was from a publisher who was really engaged with it, and then my worst feedback was from a publisher as well, <laughs> who was just like on a stone all the time. So it's like, yep. it really varies, but I think sure. people... Publishers are human too. Yeah. But getting uh, getting their feedback, if you can like really hold into the game, is pretty valuable. I think especially if you've identified which publishers are likely to be most interested in your game, which ones, if your game is... From your own research, if you think your game is going to fit into their portfolio, then that feedback can be really, really great. Uh, I, I've been to some publisher designer speed testing, speed dating events where I don't have a lot of time with anybody. I've got two or three publishers sitting in front of me at a time, but some of that feedback is um, your components are going to cost too much for anybody to be able to put out for this weight of a game, or you should really go talk with this person because they're more likely to be interested. So very quick feedback but really pointed and something that will help me do something about it. Absolutely directional. Right? Yeah, um, I had a, a very interesting feedback thing happen yesterday because I ran two uh, different playtests of the same game. And in the, the, the first playtest, we actually didn't get to play the game very much because uh, based on just the very beginning, we spent over about, uh, spent about an hour completely rewriting the character creation hmm. Sure. Yeah, but what am I supposed to do? Uh, which then translated fairly well in the second one where I got almost the exact same feedback and even after it had been written going, okay, that's a great start, but I'm still, I'm still having some of the same feelings. Oh, okay that's a lot more helpful than people silently suffering through and going, just tell me what you want me to put here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's very interesting to get that, that kind of uh, feedback experience. Yeah, I mean, you'll have, you'll have some playtesters that are very hesitant to give you negative feedback um, because a lot of people don't, don't like that confrontation, right? Like, it, it, it takes, it takes a lot of energy to sit there and be like, I think your game is bad, right? Or this part of your game is bad. Like, that takes a lot of energy to be able to do that, and some mm -hmm. people are just not willing to, right? They want to they wanna push that stuff off, but, you know, like, part of that is being able to tell playtesters, like, hey, I need you to be honest here, right? Like, I need you to, to be able... And then the other part of it is being able to identify sort of when players are like, mm, no, but I want to talk about <laughs> it, like... Whenever you see a player doing that, it's 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 super valid for you to go in and be like, hey, talk about what you're feeling, you know, like what why is this difficult for you, that sort of thing, right? 
um, because sometimes sometimes you have to coax that feedback out of people. And it's very helpful because that feedback was unanimous from everybody. Mm. Yeah. If it had yep. been one person saying, okay, this doesn't work for me, you need to change it, that would be one thing. But in fact, there's every single person sitting there saying the exact same thing of, yeah. okay, you need to spell this out because I can't creatively come up with this on my own without some sort of framework. But, oh, okay, yeah, that amazing. That's when you need to pay attention, yeah. Because the people I normally play this stuff with are really good at coming up with stuff off the top of their head. Yeah, sure. A broader audience. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, like, that that sort of feeds back into the thing where, like, playtesters are very good at telling you, you know, like how they feel if they're confused, that sort of stuff. Like, they're they're very good at identifying those specific things, right? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this is a broad question, so it's just gonna have a broad answer. But could you maybe speak to um, getting feedback from a player about something they didn't like and say, well, maybe that's okay because that player's not my target audience, versus getting to the point where you're like, well. My target audience is going to be too narrow for this to ever be a successful game. Uh, yeah, it's super possible that your target audience is too narrow. Um, that is very, very hard to identify, right? Um, one of the things that you can do is you can look at the games that your game is like. If those games are successful, maybe your target audience isn't too narrow. Maybe there's other problems that you need to work out, right? Um, if you're like, man, this game is super unique and it's not like anything else, and you know, maybe that's driving players away, right? Like, maybe it's a, not a crossover between, you know, two things that players players like and identify, right? Like, mm-hmm. one of one of the things that um, th- that players like, one of the things that designers like to do is they like to say, hey, I'm going to start with a game that I like a lot, and then I'm going to take out all of the things that I don't like, right? And all of, every single time you do that, you're stripping away parts of that target audience, right? Um, so like, you know, like, like we, we, we got it a lot when we were doing uh, Betrayal again. Um, I'm gonna use that example a lot because it's a, it's a good example for this sort of stuff. Um, is we got a lot of people who were like, hey, I don't like the parts of Betrayal that are weird and random and wild. Um, but, you know, if we remove those, we're very slowly removing the target audience and we're narrowing the target audience down until it's one person. You know, and you can make a game for one person. You can make a bespoke game and, and say, hey, here's your thing, right? But like sure. you said, that's not a successful game. Um, well, it depends on how you define success. Sure, 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 sure. That's not going to be like a, a marketable game, no, I guess. No, no, yeah. correct. A financial success. Correct. Um, yeah, and so like, you know, that, that is a difficult question to answer um, because uh even people who are very good at marketing and have been doing stuff in like real business for you know 50 years or whatever still can't identify like exactly who their target market is it's a very nebulous term that we all use you know um but it's the most important thing that that is that's it's the most important thing if you're trying to market your game right is like who am i marketing to um it's so like if you're trying to design Twilight Imperium, but I only wanted to play in half an hour. Okay, well, is the group of people that love Twilight Imperium really your market audience then? Probably not, mm-hmm. right? So you, that's somebody you know, different. But then, like, are people who want to play a game in half an hour going to like that theme and those mechanics and that sort of stuff, right? Um, like, yeah. you know, you maybe maybe not. You've probably know. narrowed your target audience too much. So, mm-hmm. did that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. I guess kind of along those lines that. What is a good way to identify a good hill to die on in terms of what you want about your game? 
if you get consistent feedback of this has to change about the game, but doing that destroys the entire vision and reason for the game to exist. How can you identify when it's okay to say, I want to hold on to this versus maybe I need to reevaluate everything that I'm building? Part of that is realizing what you might have to give up if you die on that hill. So, I mean, an easy thing is this publisher doesn't like that because that's not who his target audience is or her target audience, whatever, right? And you say, but I need to keep that. Okay, well, you're definitely giving up that publisher then. You may have to go find another market. You may be very much narrowing who's going to play this game. But if that one thing is real, I mean, part of this is passion projects too. We're not doing this just for the money. Most of us know we're not going to make enough money at this to do it from money as the main goal anyway. So there's some other reason that we're designing a game. And part of it is because we've got this creative stuff that's coming through us, we really want to get out into the world. And if that part of it is really crucially important to you, hold on to it. It, it may mean knowing that you're going to have a narrower audience or fewer people that are going to play it. Uh, you're going to get certain feedback if you take it out to conventions, and that's okay. You can narrow it down. If you're okay with that, go for it. If you're not, if you're trying to make it a commercial success and you still want to die on that hill, then you don't really want to die. So then you've got that internal wrestling you need to do with yourself. All right, fine, I'll change that because it's not going to work for what I want, the goals I have for it otherwise. And I mean, I, I think that's, a, that's an important thing to point out is like a lot of the feedback that, or a lot of the uh, perspectives that I've been giving during this thing are from the perspectives of someone who wants to market their game to a wide audience who wants games to be commercially successful that's not that's not everything right like that's not the only the, the, the point of games isn't necessarily and this is sort of philosophy but like the point of games isn't necessarily just to make money right if you're making a game for you or for your friends or for you know that thing they're your target audience your target it's it's totally okay if your target audience is five people right you're not gonna make money off of that game but that that doesn't matter right so a lot of these perspectives are coming from me being a weird jaded professional who's like hey sometimes you have to kill your own baby right um, and that's absolutely true in making a marketable game is sometimes you have to be like hey this mechanic you know and like mm -hmm. I've done that so many times to things that I think are freaking cool like I think I've come up with some rad stuff other people don't but I do <laughs> and like that's important right being able to identify that like I think this thing is cool other people think it sucks you know, and then saying, then that can't be in there, right? Because I can't, I can't sell this game to a lot of people if I keep this thing I think is really cool. And sometimes that means making a different game, right? Sometimes that means that, like, hey, I have this core thing that I think is really awesome, and other people are like, that sucks, and I hate it. And if your target audience is saying that sucks, you know, that may, maybe it's time to move on to a new game. And that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is, this is all an iterative process, and failure is totally okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes you're going to make changes that make your game worse based on feedback, right? And sometimes you're going to have to revert those changes, and sometimes you're going to get on to something new and make a totally new game, right? Um, all of that stuff is totally okay. Um, yeah. And, and an aspect of that, too, is you can say, all right, I really think this piece is, is super important. I want to hold on to it, but let me set it aside for now and try something else and see if it right. works. And sometimes it's, hey, well, that actually moves, lose, uh, uses some things that I hadn't considered before and moves a lot more smoothly and the game works a lot better. Huh, I wouldn't have thought that. But I still have this cool thing that I'm going to put into something somewhere. 
So give yourself that leeway to play with different things. Even if you decide, I really want this thing to be in the game, you're a creative person. You're putting all kinds of things together that have come from all over the world into something. And it's probably not going to be just one something. You're probably going to create multiple somethings. So keep all those really cool ideas and sure, use them someplace. They don't necessarily have to be in the game they're in right now. Play with stuff. Yeah. That's, that's Anybody else have stuff? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so you kind of mentioned that you can get different feedback when you're using Twitter or Discord or paper or just talking to people. Is there a way to sort of like frame those conversations for the medium that you're receiving the feedback in? Are you? Uh, yeah. Um, yes, there's absolutely a way to do that. Um, a lot of it is a lot of it is technical stuff, but to keep it really, really short, um, the way that you do that is know what you're asking for um, and know how the medium is going to affect your feedback. Um, those two things, I think, are the most important parts. There's a lot of other parts to it, but if you keep those two things generally in mind, I think it's going to answer the question in a way. Um, so uh, knowing what you're looking for is just that you know, ask the questions that you think are important, right? Um, but then knowing how the medium is going to affect that thing is also is just as important, right? Um, so, like, if you know that your group of playtesters tends to, you know, sort of snowball off of each other whenever they're getting verbal feedback and that's not what you're looking for, don't let them do that, right? Give them a written survey and say, like, hey, take this home, don't do this with each other, mm-hmm. right? Um, or, you know, if you want verbal feedback one-on-one you can also do that and you can know that like that's going to be a more intimate experience and players are going to be less comfortable giving you negative feedback that way that's also fine because you're going to get a lot more positive feedback that way and if you're looking for places where you can sort of lean into that's a really good way to do it you know um if you're looking for your sort of you know if you're looking for negative feedback and if you're looking for problems don't do that face to face players are really bad at confrontation and things like that and so like all of those things all of those mediums are going to affect how you get feedback um and a lot of it's going to be trial and error for you right because some people are not like that right like i know that like i have a couple of people in my playtesting group who are super happy telling me that my game sucks to my face you know and and those people are very very Mm -hmm. valuable you know in in that process but i know that i have some people that are not um so like understand how your medium is going to affect your feedback right and understand the technical capabilities of whatever medium you're using as well. Right. So if you're in a Facebook design group, for instance, you might be able to use a survey that's right there within the, the flow of things. If you're using Twitter instead, you're going to have to take people off to a link to do anything more in-depth. And then you have to understand your audience. Are they likely to follow that link and go do that thing? Or are they just scrolling through the Twitter feed and maybe answer something quickly there? So you have to understand how people are going to engage with each of the different media that you're using. Anybody else? You- You've been very quietly um, listening to everything we've saying. And um, well, so, kind of here's my husband's secretary, who's in my chest right now. Okay. Um, but uh, it's, it's kind of interesting to say how like, everything's kind of changeable because, you know, you were actually in our playtest session at Skirter, and uh, thank you for that. And it's just interesting now because now he's kind of wondering about changing all the mechanics. So I'm like, well, now you're going to be changing the entire game. And I'm trying to tell him, like, there should be like, one thing you focus on to keep. Would you suggest that, or would you say just like maybe rethink the whole thing? And when you're saying things are changeable and um, fluid. Iterations are hard. Um, that's that's for sure. Um, 
it all depends on how much time you want to put into it, right? Like if if you are if this is if you don't have plans for this for you know however long and you're okay working on it for a year and a half or another two years or whatever, mm-hmm. it's totally okay to say like we're going to change it piece by piece and we're going to test that and we're going to see how all that works. Um, I don't work that way, uh, and I tend to like try and hold myself to to timelines because. I'm very prone to working on a single thing literally until the heat death of the universe. Um, I'm very good at that, but, uh, you know, so I have to change a bunch of things at once and, and test them and see how they feel and do that sort of stuff. Um, so it, it, it depends, is the answer to that question. <laughs> as, as I've found, it's the answer to a lot of questions. It is, yes. <laughs> That's how I answer Myers-Briggs now, is it depends. I, I don't even know anymore. Uh, we've got about another minute. Any last comments, questions from anybody? Good. I don't, I don't have any closing comments. Do you, do you? I don't have any closing comments. Thank you all so much for Thank coming Thank you. Out. Especially being here in this morning after the time change and yeah. your last night of hanging out with friends and stuff and spending time with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. much. I can show you and some things I can talk about. Right. Or I can... Are you here all day? Nice.